This podcast has been edited for clarity and brevity. Enjoy. This is Vermont Edition. I'm Michaela Lafrac. In the past few years, Vermont has increased the number of refugees it has welcomed into the state. That number could continue to go up this year if there is enough housing. The state's ongoing shortage of housing could affect how many refugees and asylum seekers the state is able to welcome in 2024. Leaders of refugee resettlement organizations say the government and the legislature need to allocate funds for temporary housing in this year's budget to help ease the strain. Later in today's show, we're going to speak with a senior advisor at World Learning, which has been housing refugees at a Brattleboro campus. We'll also speak with a former refu- with a refugee, excuse me, from Afghanistan. But first, we are joined today by Amila Mirjanovic. She's the fir- the Vermont director of the U.S. Committee for Refugees and Immigrants (USCRI) in Vermont, which helps resettle refugees, connects them with local volunteers, and offers short-term assistance. Amila, welcome back back to the program. Thank you so much for having me. We really appreciate you making the time. And we are also joined this hour by Mark Clark with the Ethiopian Community Development Council, or ECDC. It resettles refugees in the Bennington and Brattleboro areas. USCRI and ECDC are two federally contracted resettlement agencies in Vermont. Mark, welcome. Thank you so much. First, the the web of refugee resettlement agencies and organizations that that work with these populations can be a little complicated to follow for those of us who are outside of it. I'd love to hear from both of you just a brief overview of what your organization does and and how you work uh, within this web in Vermont and nationally. Mark Clark, let's start with you. Sure. Um, We receive uh, our Our clients come through our headquarters out of D.C., which are allocated by the State Department. And upon arrival, our job is to really get them settled uh, into a position where they can move towards self-sufficiency and sustainability. So we often the first steps that we take are connecting them with state level services, uh, working towards finding employment, uh, housing for our clients connecting them with primary care physicians uh, for medical and then supporting them as well with legal status changes and uh, and cultural orientation upon arrival. Mm. And Amila, does your organization, does USCRI have a similar mission? Yes. Uh, similarly, USCRI um, resettles refugees from all over the world. We have been welcoming refugees to Vermont for over 40 years, but if you would allow me, I would like to start from a, a bit of a different point. There are 100 million forcibly displaced individuals in the world today, 100 million. 30 million are considered refugees. And refugees, someone who has fled their country, uh, they're fleeing persecution, they're fleeing war or violence based um, on you know their religion or origin, uh, ethnic background, political opinion, or membership in a particular social group. So once a person crosses the border, the first stop is generally the UNHCR or the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees. 
less than 1% of refugees, of people, will ever get an opportunity to be resettled to a third country. So as Mark mentioned, um, we receive a, a USCRI receives an allocation from a State Department and uh, in Vermont, historically, we have been resettling between 300 and 350 individuals per year. That number uh, is a little lower uh, in the last couple years. So similarly to uh, the services that Mark mentioned, we provide wraparound services, starting from airport reception, finding temporary long-term housing, health and wellness services, employment, transitional cash assistance, English language instruction, interpretation and translation, and, and so on. But the overarching goal of refugee resettlement is self-sufficiency through employment. Mm. And there, there's so many elements uh, of the resettlement process that you just mentioned today. They're all, of course, very intertwined. Um, that we are specifically focusing today on issues of housing. Now, before we dive into that a bit deeper, uh, first, Mark, I, I know ECDC has grown and changed a lot over just the past two years. Is that right? That's correct. I mean, we just started about two years ago uh, receiving refugees in southern Vermont, and uh, ECDC began with a staff of five. Uh, when we began, we were not, we were initially focused on just resettling refugees. Of course, the fall of uh, Kabul and Afghanistan in the months prior kind of changed that plan. So again, initially we were thinking we might be starting resettling refugees at a, at a somewhat modest pace. And instead we were receiving, uh, in, a, in essence, about a year's worth of refugees inside of two months. Um, when ECDC first began in 2022. So uh, since that time, we've expanded our staffing. We've grown from five individuals, and now we're at 19 individuals within ECDC. So uh, we've we've definitely expanded our capacity, but uh, the, the work uh, continues. Mm. Wow. So a year's worth of refugees in the span of about two months, in part driven by the Taliban takeover in Afghanistan in 2021. Uh, later in the show, we'll be speaking with a refugee from Afghanistan who arrived a few months after after that to hear his personal story. Uh, but as we talk here about numbers, um, there are some projections about how many refugees could come to Vermont in this year, in 2024, over the next, I think it's three, three quarters. Um, Amila, what, what's your understanding of, of those estimates, and, and do they feel reasonable or, or aspirational? So for USCRI, our projection for this fiscal year is about uh, 350 individuals uh, split between uh, Chittenden and Rutland County, about 270 in Chittenden and maybe 50 or so in Rutland County. Um, those, I will say, are aspirational. We, uh, in the first quarter, we settled close to 80 people. So we are sort of on track to reach that number. But um, housing, which is the topic of our conversation today, is greatly impacting our ability to uh, resettle people. Mm. And, and 
before we dive into that, Mark, what what are your numbers around uh, 2024 expectations? Yeah, we had originally started at uh, an estimation of 225 persons for FY24. And um, more recently, because of the housing situation, we've actually reduced that down to about 180 individuals uh, mm-hmm. now for FY24. Hmm. Well, uh, let's hear from both of you about um, about what exactly that that need looks like when a, a refugee arrives. Um, you know, sometimes they're housed with a volunteer who has opened their home to them, um, or where else? An Airbnb, a a, um, a rental house. Uh, how does that work, Amela? So uh, resettlement agencies are required to find both temporary and long-term housing for refugee arrivals. Each refugee gets $1,325 from the federal government, Department of State. Um, It's a one-time payment and and in the past, per person. Mm -hmm. And in the past, we were able to use these funds to rent an apartment, you know, deposit first month's rent, Um, But that is becoming increasingly difficult or impossible in some cases. If you have a small family of four or five, maybe even six individuals, it's really difficult to find an apartment uh, that they they will be able to afford. So what we have uh, had to resort to is placing people with host families. And I I want to thank our, uh, you know, Vermonters, our partners. Uh, for opening their homes to new arrivals. We have also had to place people in Airbnbs, which are incredibly expensive. As as you know, uh, local hotels. Also through the partnership with Champlain Housing Trust and St. Michael's College, we have been able to place some families, a a limited number of families at um, one of their properties. Mm. And um, this is all costing our agency a tremendous amount. That 1300 or so dollars that they receive uh, upon arrival, is that money meant to be used just for housing or is that supposed to cover all sorts of different funds to get them settled? Thank you for that question. It actually is meant to cover other expenses, including food, utilities, transportation, you know, some of those initial expenses as, you know, families are are getting settled. But, um, you know, given the limited amount and the high cost of um, housing, um, it's been really challenging, as I said, to uh, make the dollars work. And after that one-time payment, is there financial assistance available for, say, a refugee family or an individual to, to help pay rent? Or after that, are they on their own? Yes, there is a limited, very short term uh, financial assistance available. There are a couple different programs, but again, they are very short term, uh, a maximum of eight months. And as I mentioned earlier, the goal of refugee resettlement is self-sufficiency to employment. And I can tell you, um, and, and Mark can certainly attest to this, refugees are eager, incredibly eager to go to work as soon as possible. So sometimes, you know, on, on day one, um, people will tell their case manager, when can I go to work? Hmm. Mark, similar situation in, in Brattleboro and Bennington areas? 
Uh, I would echo a lot of what Amila has had to say. I, I think our situation is slightly different in that we've been fortunate enough since our inception in uh, 2022 that we've had a partnership with uh, the School for International Training uh, World Learning uh, to use their campus for transitional housing. And so what that means is as the clients arrive, uh, we are able to house them safely up on campus. And that buys us some time to help them get their feet on the ground and then work towards finding that, that employment that will eventually lead to uh, a more permanent housing situation. Mm. And let's put a pin in that because we'll be joined by somebody from World Learning in just a few moments to help us dive into it. But once people are um, uh, have been here for a few years, I imagine they um, both need to and want to move off campus and to a place of their own. Um, how, how does that process work? Is there like a time limit on how long folks can stay at the SIT campus? No, there's no time limit. Uh, uh, again, when we started in 2022, the average stay up on the campus for transitional housing was was measured in weeks. And unfortunately, now with the housing crisis being what it is, uh, we have individuals staying there for months um, just because we're unable to find them permanent housing at this point. Mm. And are there certain areas in the region that ECDC covers in southern Vermont that are harder to find housing in? Maybe places that people are able to find jobs but but can't find a place to live? Yeah, I Brattleboro tends to be at the moment the the kind of center of most difficult areas for us to find housing. I, I think the other part to consider is that Vermont being a rural state um, with very limited public transportation, it does kind of limit the geographic areas in which we can settle our clients because of access uh, you know to that public transportation being so so limited. Mm. Is that a, a concern that the folks that you work with, Amila, also face? Um, you know, I know in, in um, Chinding County, there's a bit more public transportation than in other parts mm-hmm. of the state, but I imagine it's still a concern. Yes, um, it, it absolutely is. We, you know, always uh, try to find housing, you know, on accessible by public transportation but given the, you know, lack of affordable housing in, you know, Chittenden County, um, we we may need to look elsewhere. Amila, what what exactly is the is the ask here? Other than you know, a, a, a whole neighborhood of affordable housing <laughs> popping up in the next couple months. You know, if we could, we would wave a magic wand. Um, what do you think needs to change in Vermont to address this issue? Like who who is ultimately accountable? So I think um, immediately um, I would like to urge um, our legislators to um, allocate funds that will support transitional housing for refugees this year and in the coming year. Secondly, I would like to call on Vermonters to reach out to USDRI and ECDC if you are able to host families. And, and you know, we can certainly give you a lot more information uh, when you contact us. And then thirdly, um, you know, building more, more affordable housing. Um, but, but I know that's a long-term goal. Mm. 
And Mark, with ECDC, thoughts there? Yeah, again, I think, uh, you know, we have this model that we're using with SIT World Learning with the use of their campus that has been working for us incredibly well. And we would like to see funding continue for that particular venture uh, through at least 2024. What... Uh, how much funding are are we talking about? Let, Mark, let's let's start with you. The, the what are the needs to keep the SIT campus functioning in the way that it is? Yeah, the the existing funding is expected to run out perhaps as early as the end of February this year. And the if we were to if we were able to receive about eight hundred thousand dollars, that would that would supply the transitional housing from March 2024 through June 2025. Mm. And Amila, have you put a, a dollar figure on short-term needs? Yes, um, it's a similar figure to what Mark has shared. Um, for example, last year, USCRI uh, spent close to uh, $250,000. On temporary housing, uh, we were provided very limited funds by the federal government um, and also by the state. Uh, but the majority of, of uh, funds came from private donors. So to continue to uh, welcome refugees this year and then into next year, FY25, we're looking at about half a million dollars. Mm. And let's add one more voice here to the conversation. Tim Rivera is a senior advisor at World Learning. It's an international nonprofit that is based in Brattleboro, and it's focused on international development, education, and exchange programs. It's the parent organization of the School for International Training, or SIT. And Tim helps the organization makes make innovative plans to support refugees. Tim Rivera, welcome. Thank you so much, Michaela. Glad to be with you. Now, we've talked a little bit about the the SIT campus and how it has been helping ECDC um, house refugees who are being settled in southern Vermont. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about it from the perspective of SIT and world learning? Sure, absolutely. Um, I also want to say that this is not the first time that uh, World Learning and SIT have done this. Uh, back in the 1950s, we welcomed Hungarian refugees uh, to our campus, which was then in Putney. So this is a part of our kind of organizational history. But as Mark mentioned, since January of 2022, uh, when we first welcomed about 90 some Afghans, uh, Afghan refugees to our campus, we have continued to make our residence halls uh, available for refugees uh, on campus. We have been able to do so thanks to the generous support of the state through emergency rental assistance for quite some time and also um, thanks to funding from the State Refugee Coordinator's Office, uh, Tracy Dolan, uh, who you mentioned a, a bit earlier. Um, so, and as Mark said, this funding is running out at the end of February. So, uh, you know, we have folks on campus who have been uh, benefiting from these uh, residence halls uh, we've installed. We've kind of expanded our, our kitchens uh, in each of these residence halls so that uh, refugees uh, living there can cook for themselves and they can cook sort of culturally appropriate meals. We cover all utilities, uh, clean, shared, all the shared spaces like kitchens and bathrooms. So it's it's quite a unique model, but uh, we're really happy to, to have them on campus. Mm. And, and 
Amila, I'm curious, you know, I, I know you work closely with um, ECDC and, and are, you know, know what World Learning is doing. And you've spoken a bit about the the partnership um, at St. Mike's uh, in Colchester. I, I'm wondering if the, the model that's going on in southern Vermont can can be something that's that's replicated in the the parts of Vermont that you work in. Yes, absolutely. And um, that that is our hope. Um, yeah. We currently have access for um, a few units at St. Michael's College, and we're, we're grateful uh, for their support and partnership. It makes a difference, of course. Uh, but we are looking to expand and potentially look at other campuses around our area. Also, um, through our partnership with Champlain Housing Trust, we have had access to eight units. Um, but that is coming to an end uh, in May. So unfortunately, we will be losing access to those eight units. Mm. Why is that coming to an end? Uh, Champlain Housing Trust will be building uh, more affordable housing in place of um, that motel. Mm. Well, let's go to the phones. We have a call from Millicent in Brattleboro. Millicent, you're on the air. Go ahead. Hi. Um, yeah, Millicent Cooley. Um, I live in Brattleboro. I'm a volunteer with the Refugee Resettlement Program here and also happen to be a next-door neighbor of the World Learning SIT campus. Hmm. And I just, you know, want to say that I think that it seems to work out so beautifully with SIT, um, Not in addition to the points that everybody has already made here about giving people time to find permanent housing, there's a huge thing that, you know, we see on the ground with people getting used to the culture. People, I've seen people like arriving from the airport, looking at their new house, you know, that they're walking into the dorm. And, you know, they, some of these people have been, you know, in bouncing around refugee camps for 10 years. You know, um, the kids are born there in countries all around the world, and there's a huge amount for them to get used to. And this, you know, gives them a way, a time, a little time to get used to these things. Uh, there's, you know, places where they've never had a bank account, and now they're learning how to do that <laughs> before they have to also take on the responsibility of, you know, paying rent and dealing with landlords. So that just gives them that buffer. And, you know, SIT has been an extremely generous host. You know, they have, you know, programs on campus, you know, with helping people, um, you know, learn to get ready for jobs and cultural orientation and bike safety workshops and so forth. And, mm. and the people who, you know, like me, who live not only in the community broadly, but directly around SIT have been very happy with what they see happening here and mm. um, like like having these people here. Well, thank you, Millicent, for your call. Uh, Tim, with with World Learning, uh, w what does that, that feedback feel like to receive? It, it feels so great, and I want to thank Millicent for her call and her really kind words. We have done our best to try to be a good neighbor uh, in all of this, a good member, community members uh, in all of this. So uh, in providing this housing on campus, we're also trying to provide an efficient way for uh, Mark and his colleagues at ECDC, uh, as well as um, some other colleagues at the Brattleboro Development Credit Corporation who provide employment services to kind of provide 
all of these core important initial resettlement services in a centralized location mm. for folks when they arrive. In a rural context, that can be very, very difficult to do. Mm. But I also wanted to say that, you know, Millicent outlined, I think, some of the sort of more intangible benefits to the local community. But I also want to sort of make the argument that this support for transitional housing really represents an upfront investment uh, in community benefit. Um, according to some statistics we have from the Brattleboro Development Credit Corporation, the refugees who are coming to work, who have come to work in southern Vermont so far, um, 83% of job-seeking employees are currently employed. Um, the 17% that aren't are either currently being placed in a job or they're currently in an uh, educational program that will help uh, with their employment moving forward. 49 different employers have employed refugees since January 2022. And at least in the South, that represents an annual, annually mm-hmm. $3.7 million in taxable wages, which are going back into the local economy through retail, through housing, through services, right. and of course, going back into Vermont state coffers through taxes. So right. we really this, uh, you know, these, the funding that's going into this transitional housing as an investment. Um, that will that is already paying dividends. Wow, I'm hearing that context. It's helpful. Thank you. And I want to get back to the phones. We have a number of folks calling in. Uh, Mary in Windsor is next. Mary, you're on the air. Go ahead. Hi. I want to know why it is that um, a vacant building that is centrally located, has transportation, is near jobs that could be walked to, has been vacant for over 10 years. In Brattleboro, it's the ideal place for a, a any kind of industry, but housing would be particularly easily done because it's already there. It, it was a working building before it had housed in a, a um, company, and yet it stays there vacant. Hmm. Well, Mary, I'm, I'm not sure which would, would building you're referring to. Mark Clark, I'm, I'm wondering if, if you do, or, or perhaps you have something to say about working with uh, development groups such as Amila does with the Champlain Housing Trust to, to create housing for refugees? Yeah, we, we do work with uh, with the area organizations like Wyndham Windsor Housing Trust as well uh, to try to secure permanent housing for our clients. Um and I have heard similar uh, comments and conversations in the area about trying to utilize the sometimes, uh, you know, vacant buildings that might be present for, for other purposes. But I think that's probably a, a much longer term uh, situation um, that I'm sure others in the community are looking at as well around, you know, the housing situation. I, I will say that the the one advantage that the campus is providing to us with the transitional housing is that as people arrive, a lot of times they you know they've been on quite a journey and they've been through various uh, you know transits along their way to the U.S. and into Vermont, and when they arrive, the nice part about the SIT campus is that there is a sense of community amongst the people that are already residing there. And so as you bring someone new to the area, they're already able to learn from others that are living at the SIT campus who might have been here for a longer period of time mm. about, you know, how things work in Vermont mm. and and uh, kind of learn a- about uh, the culture of Vermont from others that have been here for a, 
a period of time longer. Hmm. Well, let's go back to the phones. We have a call from Eric in Brattleboro now. Eric, you're on the air. Go ahead. Yes, um, my wife and I, we own two apartment houses in Brattleboro, and we had a call from an Afghan family that was currently residing up on the World Learning Campus. And we showed it them the apartment. They said they wanted it. My wife drew up all the paperwork and uh, dropped it off to their, I don't want to say mentor or the person, translator. And uh, then we never heard back again. And I think it was Christmas Eve in the morning, we got a call at 10.15. Um, there was a family who would like to look at it at 10.30. And once again, we showed the apartment and then we never heard anything. And... Uh, yeah, you know, we can't leave an apartment empty, so we have now since rented it to uh, another person. But communication, um, not hearing, you know, it, it's like it was very hard for us. Um, yeah. Like we're like, what's what's going on? So, anyways, um, if communication was better, it would uh, help a lot. Please, mm. uh, I'd love to hear thoughts from all of our guests on this. It's a really interesting perspective, Eric, on, on, you know, housing being available um, and then, you know, something, the, the puzzle piece is not, not quite adding up, but we'll start with you, Mark. Sure. Uh, I'm sorry to hear that. I, the, the call was a little garbled on my end, so okay. I, I quite, couldn't quite hear everything, but I, my understanding was that there was an apartment available and, and there was no follow-up. And, and I'm very sorry to hear that. Obviously, we're, we're interested in talking to anyone who uh, has a property to rent for our clients. Um, is there somebody, uh, He. it sounds like the, the landlord here, Eric, was saying that there was somebody who was helping Afghan uh, refugee families uh, search for housing, and they didn't hear back from, from that person. Um, does each uh, family have something like a case manager to, to help them? We do have, yeah, there is a, a case manager assigned to each client family. We also have a housing navigator at ECDC that follows up on uh, leads with properties for rent. Mm -hmm. So um, I would just encourage any landlords in the area that do have properties available to please feel free to reach out to ECDC in Brattleboro. And we will absolutely be following up with you for, for any opportunity to rent to our clients. Mm, thank you for that. And, and Amila, what, what is USCRI's relationship with, with landlords in the Chittenden and Rutland regions? Um, as I mentioned, we have been around for over 40 years in, in Chittenden County. So we have developed uh, relationships with a number of area landlords and uh, property management agencies. Over the past, um, I would say three to four years, new landlords have uh, reached out to us and, and property management agencies, which has been wonderful. But we're always looking to, um, you know, add add more because the, the demand certainly uh, it has uh, increased. In Rutland, uh, that is a new resettlement, fairly new resettlement area, although Rutland was um, approved for resettlement in 2017, but we have been actively resettling refugees in Rathland for the past two years. The situation is is uh, slightly better. Uh, there are um, apartments um, available in Rathland. They they may not be available right when people are coming, so we're we're still needing to place people in temporary housing. But it's very short term. Mm. And to return to the the SIT campus for a moment here, 
Tim Rivera with World Learning. Is is what's going on at the campus something that that you're talking about um, with with folks you work with across the country as a replicable model? Yeah, it's it's something that we are trying to share with other higher education institutions around the country. Um, through a program that we uh, are working on with uh, ECTC and their headquarters and two other organizations trying to mobilize and build the capacity of higher ed institutions around the country to see how they can contribute to refugee resettlement, yeah, to refugee resettlement uh, including through housing. We do see higher ed institutions as um, really interesting institutions and ecosystems in communities that can contribute. Mm. Um, and in this way, you know, in addition to just providing housing, world learning is also uh, providing English language learning courses um, for uh, for newly arriving refugees uh, and cultural or- orientation sessions as well. Mm. Um, so this is something that, um, you know, we are doing our best to, to share our experience, to share our model, um, to explore whether or not it can be replicated uh, around the country. There's a, another mm. great organization out there called Every Campus a Refuge, which is uh, also trying to mobilize higher ed institutions as well. So uh, for those listening and interested, definitely recommend reaching out to World Learning's Supporting Higher Education and Refugee Resettlement Program or SHARE or Every Campus a Refuge um, as there are plenty of opportunities out there. Thank you. Uh, let's get in one more call before we have to take a quick break. Uh, Alex is calling from Plattsburgh. Alex, you're on the air. Go ahead. Uh, hi, I was just wondering how your guests, uh, how they think it's fair to Vermont taxpayers that are currently struggling under the high tax burden and the housing crisis to bring in people that are unhoused into the community. It's just going to add to the problem. I don't understand why all this money uh, isn't focused on Vermonters. If you can't take care of Vermonters, how can you take care of refugees? Thank you. I'll listen off the air. All right, Alex. Well, Miller, I'm going to give this one to you since you've been working in this space for for many, many years now. Um, Alex is saying, why are we not addressing needs of of folks who have lived here their whole lives versus uh, new arrivals, refugees and asylum seekers? Oh, absolutely. The needs of everyone um, should be addressed. And, you know, uh, this is not a competition. I, you know, that's the last uh, thing I want to, you know, listeners to walk away with. Absolutely. You know, our unhoused uh, population is second highest in the country. So that is uh, another crisis that uh, we are faced with. And that's per capita, um, just just a note. To that listeners. is per capita, exactly. So uh, absolutely, every, uh, every population uh, that is struggling, uh, their needs should be addressed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if, if I could jump in briefly here, I think it's also important to note that Vermont is facing a labor shortage. Um, there was an article in the Commons just a little while ago that said that there are somewhere between 18 and 20,000 open positions in Vermont right now. Um, so uh, we have seen certainly in the South that, um, you know, a lot of the refugees that are coming in are helping to address this labor shortage, but it is still very acute. So I do think that in, in doing this work, uh, we are attempting to um, really support all, you know, the entirety of the community uh, you know, through this uh, economic re- you know, uh, re-energizing or revitalization. Mm. 
That's Tim Rivera with World Learning alongside Mark Clark with the Ethiopian Community Development Council and Amila Mirjanovic with the U.S. Committee for Refugees and Immigrants. Thank you to all of our guests for joining us today. Throughout this hour, we've been talking about Vermont's acute housing shortage and how it's becoming a limiting factor for the state in terms of how many refugees Vermont can accept in 2024. Abdul Rizwanzai knows this through and through. He works as an employment navigator for ECDC, the Ethiopian Community Development Council in Brattleboro. He's also a refugee himself from Afghanistan, where he had worked for the U.S. and the Afghan government prior to the Taliban's takeover in 2021. Abdul, welcome to Vermont Edition. Thanks for having me. We really appreciate you being here and telling us a little bit about your story. Now, as I understand it, you left Afghanistan in November 2021, a couple months after the U.S. evacuated, and you were in Qatar for a while before coming to the United States. When did you find out you were headed to Vermont, and and what did you know about it? Um. I left Afghanistan in November 2021, and then I went to Qatar, and I was there almost for five or six months, and then I departed Qatar to the United States, uh, and I came to Vermont. So while I was in Qatar, uh, so the IOM guys told me that you have to go to Vermont, the state of Vermont. So at that time, the state of Vermont was a new name for me, like I was hearing Vermont for the first time. So then they told me that you have to go there so then i came to new york and then from new york to brattleboro vermont so that was in may 2022 Mm -hmm. since may 2022 i have been living here in brattleboro vermont uh, so and i think um, this is a good place for me to live here so i received all support from acdc and from the local community and from the people in from the state so now um, I can do many things myself, so I'm like self-sufficient and I'm independent and I know about the system, I know about, the, I'm learning about the culture and about all these things. Mm. And are, are you in your own housing now or w- where are you living? Yes, I live in my house, in my own apartment, I mean, uh, I mean like I live in an apartment. So when I came here, so I moved into my apartment after two weeks of staying at SIT. Mm. So after two weeks of staying at SIT, the employ- the housing navigator of ECDC helped me to find an apartment for me in the downtown. Mm. So that time the state was paying uh, for the rent and the state paid almost for four months. Then they start paying uh, for the refugees. Mm. So the apartment I was living in was so expensive for me because that was in downtown. So then I applied for another apartment, and after four, four months, I moved into a new apartment, which I found for myself. So when I came here into the Brattleboro at the beginning, so it was a little bit easy to find an apartment. But now, as we are receiving big and more a uh, big number of refugees, so it's become a challenge to find an apartment um, uh, easily or as soon as possible. Right. And and now you work with ECDC as an employment navigator, but I'm, I'm sure you also um, are there for those conversations as other refugees talk about struggling to find housing. What have you heard? Um, yeah, it's true. 
like a shortage of housing is not only a statewide uh, issue, it's like a nationwide issue. Yeah. So shortage of housing is everywhere. Uh, so refugees coming here, most of them now have their own apartments uh, in their own houses in ACDC is supporting them uh, to find reasonable and affordable apartments in the houses to them. Uh, so, but some of the refugees we uh, did receive recently, they have been living at SIT. And uh, of course, we are hearing from them like they are looking for their own apartments in the houses. Uh, but unfortunately, that we are facing with the shortage in lackage of apartments in houses. And is there a particular type of housing that is more difficult to find, maybe either for individuals or, or for families, larger families? Yes, uh, larger families, they have more problems finding apartment or houses. Like some of the families here, like the number of the family is seven or six people. So it's really hard to find an apartment for them that seven people can live in one apartment so that is a type of uh, problem that we are facing with that big families usually have more problems finding a suitable apartment or house. Mm. And Abdul, are you, um, are, were you accompanied by, by anybody from your family when you came to the United States or Vermont, or is your family still back in Afghanistan? So my family is still back in Afghanistan. So I I came here as an individual. Hmm. So I'm the only person here in my family is back in Afghanistan. Hmm. What what are your conversations like with with your family? Um, I can imagine they're they're so happy that you're safe, but but it must be incredibly difficult to be so far away. Uh, yes, it's incredibly difficult to be far away from your family, and it's been almost two years that I'm far away from my family. But we are in touch, and sometimes, like we make WhatsApp calls and we talk, not uh, like uh, most of the time, but like once or twice a month. So I'm just uh, talking to them, and we listen to each other, and we talk about the problems they have there and how I can support them, and they ask about my condition here. We uh, in I ask about their condition. So we exchange words and we are in contact through calls and through WhatsApp application. Mm. Do you feel like you you are able to provide support to them? Uh, I think um, yes. So financially, like uh, I work here and sometimes I have to send some money back to home because I have to support them. Yeah. While I was working in Afghanistan, so I was the person who was supporting his family financially. Mm. So when I came here, so I have to provide this support again to my family. And I think I can do it from here. Yeah, that must be, um, yeah, it must be a lot of responsibility to have on on your shoulders. Um, and now you're, you're also helping others who are arriving here as well. Um, Abdul, I'm curious what your advice is for for other refugees, perhaps refugees from Afghanistan, um, who are new to Vermont um, and look to you as somebody who has who has much more experience than they do, having been here a few years now. Yes. Uh, so working with them is comfortable for both, for me and for them, because we understand each other's language. And when they're here, so we can provide our support. And some of them, they have language uh, barriers and limitations. So when they are talking to us, and then we are uh, passing on their message to ECDC, this is easy for them to understand and to know about the 
uh, about Vermont, about the community, and about ACDC. So we are helping them uh, from ACDC as employee, and also like um, uh, from the same country. We work with them like after working hours, like we are working with them as a, a, a volunteer now. So we are working with refugee uh, informal formally, and we also work with them like, as a volunteer informally. So um, we share our experiences with them, and we are teaching them about uh, American culture, about new environment, about workforce uh, culture, and about uh, these things that we have learned throughout uh, our stay here in Vermont. Mm. And then on the flip side, Abdul, um, I wonder if there's something that that you would like to to say to Vermonters who are not refugees um, about about your experience. Something that folks might might not understand about um, about what what you've been through, or a way that that people could help. Um, to be honest, uh, the I live here in Brattleboro. So the community is very welcoming community. Mm. So they are supporting refugees in there, providing all the support they can. So um, uh, we are so much happy. Refugees are so much happy. So sometimes uh, we have co-sponsored groups and volunteer groups and they sit together and we talk to each other and we exchange our thoughts and we learn uh, um, uh, from them and they are learning from us. So sometimes like um, we as employment uh, employment navigator, when I work uh, uh, with the employers here, so we teach them about the culture of the refugees and we teach them about uh, the work culture back in Afghanistan and also the work culture of the refugees back in their home countries. So we are teaching the employers and we also teach refugees about different cultures. And um, uh, so the people, as I mentioned in Brattleboro, they are very welcoming people. They know about how, about refugees, about their status, about their problems, about their challenges they are facing with. So they are providing all the support. And um, I hope that ECDC and other resettlement agencies in state can uh, extend their help uh, to the refugees, to the volunteers and to the co-sponsors that, uh, that they can be um, in contact, in touch with these agencies and they can also uh, provide uh, support services through ECDC and through other uh, resettlement agencies, also uh, like uh, inside ECDC and outside ECDC. Mm-hmm. Well, Abdul Rizwanzai, an employment navigator for ECDC, the Ethiopian Community Development Council. Thank you so, so much for speaking with us today. Thank you so much for having me. Have a good day.